Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I'd like to talk tonight about uh, opening to our experience. In some ways, that's, um, that's how I think of the whole meditation process, just learning to open more and more and open to the present moment more and more. And this really goes against the grain of very strong conditioning that we've been practicing our whole lives or lifetimes. <clears throat> is our common response to experience is a contraction in relationship to it. If things are unpleasant, the very typical response is to contract away, distance ourselves from what's going on, either removing ourselves or having ill will or aversion. And if something is pleasant, the typical response is to try to possess it, engulf it, and again, contract around it, hold on to it. So, what we're doing here is quite the opposite. It's quite radical in relationship to the unpleasant, not moving away from it, but being here, opening to it, allowing ourselves to explore and discover and not move into that space of aversion. And with the pleasant experiences, the challenge is not to try to possess them, not to hold on to them, as sweet as they might be, as much as we might have an idea, this would be really good practice. Or, wow, last time was pretty cool. How do I get there again? Just very, very subtle how the mind gets seduced by that tendency to want to grasp. And really, that's, that's a big um, invitation in our practice to be with the pleasant and not try to possess or not try to recreate. So the different qualities that I want to um, focus on tonight are various ones that I have found um, useful to keep in mind as I'm practicing that all have to do with learning to open more and more. It's not a list that you'll find in the Anguttara Nikaya or the any part of the Pali Canon. This is just my own list, so um, you don't have to take notes and have it for your file of Buddha Dharma, classical Buddha Dharma. But there are these are qualities that we're all familiar with and that um, the practice both develops spontaneously as a natural byproduct of uh, 
of waking up and also can be cultivated consciously to aid in in the process. The first quality is that of forgiveness. I want to spend a little bit of time around this quality. We begin the loving-kindness practice often with forgiveness. So um, it's certainly a quality that is valued in the in the teachings. And the Buddha, actually, there's a, a number of very beautiful stories of the Buddha um, demonstrating the the power and importance of forgiveness. If people in the order had done some really stupid things and they get into these petty fights and over the most you know, ridiculous circumstances, you know, you really see the humanness in, in the old stories. And it can go on for quite some time and at any point, at the point where somebody realizes the errors of their ways and confesses or uh, apologizes, the Buddha uh, says, we, we need to forgive them and take them in, no matter how off they've been, except for a few major, um, few major transgressions that are big no-nos. And there's the, the forgiveness is, is there as far as staying in the order. Um, but what the forgiveness, the, the heart of forgiveness is, is it's, it's the antidote to the complaining mind. We can complain or have aversion towards ourselves. We can be upset with others and we can be upset with life that somehow it's dealing us um, a, uh, a, raw, a raw deal. And forgiveness is really the capacity of the heart to open up and not be contracted with that tightening. Forgiveness isn't kind of saying, okay, well, I'll let it pass this time, you know. It's not being tolerant. It's not glossing over. The heart of forgiveness is one that really opens up and lets go of that grip of contraction. And it's a a very profound quality. Sometimes we want to forgive and aren't quite there just yet. And it's not something that you can necessarily pretend that you're at or hurry up But if we incline our minds towards that spirit of forgiveness, then it starts to flower. As the Buddha said, that which we incline our mind to, um, this is what we'll develop into. This is what we cultivate. The meditation practice really starts with forgiveness towards ourselves. Because here we are, just with our own bodies and our minds in a circumstance like this. You know, certainly there might be stuff outside that might annoy you 
and we'll get to that in a few moments. <clears throat> I know that that's part of the package. But really, you are learning a relationship with yourself that's very profound as you sit here. And you have ample opportunity to practice forgiveness with yourself. These first few days, by now it's the, the third day, and uh, the magical third day, maybe you've started to land, or maybe you think, well, okay, it's the third day and I'm still not here. You know? <clears throat> How do you relate to that? But these first few days, for everyone, almost everyone, is, uh, are challenges. There's low energy, sleepiness, there's restlessness, there's busy mind, and there's achy body. Right? That's pretty much the settling in period. Um, so if you've had any of those, you're right on schedule. You're doing just fine. How do you relate to that? The first time, you remember the first time you did a retreat? And you say, why do people put themselves through this? You know? If you don't realize that that's part of the package, um, it gets very, very frustrating. And then you hear about the various hindrances and, and think, oh, yeah, well, maybe that's something that is not just unique to me. But as you, as you practice more and more, over, over a number of retreats or years, there might be this subtle idea, okay, I've been doing this for five years or ten years, so I think I should be beyond this, right? And I've, just in the last uh, day or so, you know, been with people in interviews who, again, it's so subtle, get caught by what their expectation is of where they should be at. Because we want to do it right. We have very high standards when we come to practice. We want to practice with our, our wholehearted intention and really be there for the experience. And when we don't meet our report card, it's uh, very discouraging. This is the opportunity to really cultivate forgiveness. And if you have any kind of a perfectionist streak, then you have a, a double dose of, uh, of encounter with a forgiving mind. You know? And I've seen this in myself. I'm just remembering my, uh, I had my 50th birthday a few years ago. We had this, um, <clears throat> this really lovely uh, party. And there was a bit of a, with some people that got up and said some things, and um, some of the some of my friends uh, slight roast in there, which was sweet. My son, who uh, at times just uh, channels stand-up comedy, um, he was uh, a, ten or eleven at the time, and he uh, he got up and he said, "My father does." just about everything really well. And I was really surprised. <laughs> and he said, he only tries things that he knows he'll do well, but he does them well. You know? It was like, oh wow, he nailed me. 
<clears throat> and I, I've seen that, you know, that perfectionist streak. I, I want to do it right. You know, I, there's a, a competitor in me, and uh, I'm a lot better than I used to be. But, but one day it occurred to me a number of years ago, the best you can do as a perfectionist is break even. Okay. You do it perfectly, okay, did it right that time, and anything less, and you've blown it. This is a very difficult no-win situation to be in. And as you come to practice, we have these very sincere hopes that our practice will flower for the benefit of all beings, let alone for our own peace of mind. And um, it doesn't quite measure up. As you're practicing and you see your mind all over the place, how do you relate to it? So there you are, you've sat you know, for the fourth time that day and your mind has wandered 123 times during the period, how do you relate to the fact that it's wandered? Do you scold it? Do you get frustrated? Is there any kind of an attitude of, come on, let's get it together? All that does is create more contraction and agitation of mind. But if instead you see it's just doing its thing and when you realize it's gone, when you realize it's been gone, you can appreciate the fact that you've come back to the present moment instead of beating yourself up for having been away. Ah, it's okay, come on back. You know the, the image of training the puppy dog. Okay, come on back. You don't want to beat the puppy dog for wandering off. Come on back. Let's go. How do you relate to your mind? This is a a very key point in practice. And you save yourself tremendous hassle if you don't take it personally. That's the heart of the Buddha's teaching anyway, isn't it? So here you are. This is your laboratory your field of investigation to understand the human experience. You know, I love that line the Buddha said, in this fathom-long body, the whole of the Dharma is revealed. This is the one that you've been issued to understand and discover what it means to be human, what it means to be alive. And if you take it personally and say, oh my goodness, look at my mind, you've misperceived reality. Because you don't have any control over your thoughts in the first place, right? And if you can see you're doing the best you can and there you are having a sincere intention to be present. Ah, okay. Wandered off. Come on back. It's in that space of kindness and forgiveness that the mind can start to settle down. The same with your body. How do you feel about your body when it doesn't cooperate? There you are, sitting, and there's a, an ache in your shoulder or a pain in your knee. Do you get angry at your body? Is it frustrating? Why aren't you cooperating, body? 
Now, if you think about it, those muscles or that tissue has been trying its best to serve you for your whole lifetime. Doing the best it can. Does it need some scolding? Is that going to get it into shape? Probably not. And in fact, as you become angry and frustrated with it, all it does is bring more contraction and tightening. So this is a chance for you to, again, not take it personally. It's completely out of your control, just following its own laws. But it's so easy to feel embarrassed, to feel ashamed of how this body is operating, or what it looks like, or what it does, or how it passes gas, or how it pees, or whatever it is, you know, oh God, there it goes again, you know. Or how long the nose is, or how many wrinkles are starting to come onto the the skin, or whatever it is. This is where forgiveness is called for. And forgiveness is really understanding you don't need to take it personally. It's just these impersonal laws that are operating through this body. When you see how you get caught over and over, this is also really humbling. You know, there you are sitting, and it's not just random thoughts, but it's relationship thought, or work thought, or whatever it is that you've gotten caught in. You know, God, you know, if they plugged into our brains and could broadcast what goes out, you know, it would be painful, right? (laughs) Or if somebody sat you down and made you listen to tapes of what your thoughts do, you know, just playing over and over these either innocuous or, uh, you know, nasty thoughts playing on a tape loop again and again, That's cruel and unusual punishment, wouldn't it be? So, the idea around forgiveness, around those thought patterns, is just seeing the habit that you've cultivated. Seeing, or that's been cultivated. Just seeing it's a habit of mind. As much as you want to free yourself of that habit, it's been cultivated for... Years and years. On one retreat, I was doing this, uh, it was on a three-month course, it was one of the early three-month courses, and um, I was doing walking meditation, slow walking meditation, and I really was getting into it. Nobody was around, and I was going very slowly. In fact, I made a game to see how slowly I could go Nobody around, I wouldn't have to feel self-conscious. I was just really getting into, uh, you know, Marcel Marceau kind of, you know, my version. And in the middle of this, somebody came into the walking room. And in those days, they 
I don't know why they did this, but they tagged on a two-week retreat at the end of a three-month course. And you can really feel the difference in energy. And this person had just come from the outside world. I knew this was going to look really bizarre, but I wasn't going to change my, my game. And after about two minutes, she just bolted out in <laughs> what I thought was frustration over the... You know, the comparing mind. And as she went across my field of vision, the thought came to me, boy, I really blew her mind. She must think I'm a great yogi. (laughs) (laughs) And because I was quieter than usual, I heard the thought really clearly. (laughs) And it was so humbling And from that slow walking, just really slow, I became like a caged tiger. I was just going back and forth saying, my God, I've been doing this for two and a half months. And there's all this ego and image and presentation and trying to look good. and, And I did that for a few minutes. And then it occurred to me, the millions and millions of times that I had that thought or thought like that, that I hadn't caught it because it was just so much a part of me. I was just able to see it a bit more clearly because I'd been practicing the window distractions. And when I thought about it, not only the millions of times in this lifetime, but then I extrapolated into countless lifetimes, it completely boggled my mind and there was this wave of compassion that came over me. What did I think? I was going to unlearn that habit of ego in just a couple of months after practicing it millions of times over countless years? And that was much more important than how slow I could go. It was... It was a very important lesson. Just in a moment of understanding the depth of the conditioning changed everything. When you're evaluating your practice, and it's really easy to get into evaluating your practice, often it's mistaken by what the results are. Am I calm? Must be doing it well. Am I clear? Okay, it's going well. I'm all over the map. I must be doing something wrong. You, know? you don't have much control over what's happening. But instead of thinking in terms of what the results are, what your practice looks like on the outside, if you come back to your own sincerity of heart and know that you're doing the best you can, can you do any better than the best you can? If you come up with a different answer, then no, let me know, and I'll talk about it. And that's where you can feel really um, inspired by your own wholehearted intention to be here and let go of the report card. And you can forgive whatever is happening, because it's not you anyway. As you practice more forgiveness towards yourself, then it starts to 
become a habit that you can see a little bit more in relationship to others. And the, the meditation practice, going through all the, the humblings and, and uh, uh, despairs and confusions, all the things that we go through, instead of thinking of them as off the path, what they do is allow us to practice compassion for this human predicament that we're in. And so, as you see it for yourself, then you're more able to see when somebody else gets caught in their stuff, when they're believing their thoughts, when they're beating themselves up. So, every foible that you see is really an opportunity to cultivate kindness for others as well as for yourself. Because if you can bring it towards yourself, then it's much more likely to be there for for someone else. So forgiveness towards others. And again, we have ample opportunity on retreat, even though we're not having much interaction. There's bound to be a few things that just rub us the wrong way about others in our environment. You know, the, the dreaded VV Vipassana Vendetta. Right? <laughs> when somebody is there planted just to ruin your retreat, the way they breathe. God, why can't they breathe like a human being? Right? <laughs> the way they eat, you know, the way they pile on their food, or the way they, you know, and there you are, you know, in the dining room, I can't believe she's going for another portion. You know. look at or look how, look how mindful, you know, Mister Mindfulness over here is. You know, and you see the judging mind all over the place, right? As you start to practice, you can practice forgiveness. Uh, it becomes quite radical, again, by seeing everybody is just doing the best they can. And where is the pain? Where is the, the angst that's being held on to? They're eating their food. You're fuming, you know. <laughs> and this is a little bit of a, again, a microcosm for... Uh, for our predicament out in the world. We can hold on to things. Things can annoy us that other people do. And who is suffering? We're the ones that are suffering. Somebody might be off in a beach in Hawaii having a great time and you think of them and you get really angry. Who's suffering? Now, what... Forgiveness acknowledges is that people can change. And when we're not able to forgive, which is you know, something that is quite understandable and, and uh, requires a great deal of compassion, but when we're not able to forgive, we are locking somebody into a particular moment of experience. You know, suppose somebody took a picture of you in the middle of one of your most humbling moments, you know, as you're losing it with your kid or something you know, with your partner or somebody at work and you're just going, ah! 
and somebody took a snapshot and had that, that's who you are, right? And they put it in their pocket, and every time they pull it out, yep, that's a pretty awful person, right? (laughs) Well, that's what we do if we hold somebody in the particular moment that we've interacted with them five years ago, ten years ago, whatever. And really, forgiveness, implicit in it, is honoring the fact that people can grow and change. Hopefully, we can grow and change, can't we? Otherwise, why would we be practicing? Now, it's not always possible to forgive. And maybe there's been some real deep wounds, real deep hurt. And so, it's not to make light of this and say, oh yes, well, you know, we should just let it go. You have to go through all the the pain and the grieving and the trauma or whatever it is that you've gone through and not pretend. But if you're not able to forgive somebody else, then at least to start with forgiving yourself for being just where you're at. Have some degree of opening in there. And these days, we're being called on to respond to great catastrophes and hate and frustration with maybe things being done differently than you'd like or maybe, um, well, so much opportunity to practice forgiveness Who is it that you've become outraged at in recent times? This is understandable. Who is it that can be your vehicle for developing forgiveness? I came across this story. This is from Sharon's book, um, Heart as Wide as the World. I want to share. She says, At a course I was teaching in Israel, I led a guided meditation on forgiveness. Afterward, one of the participants approached me to say that he had felt overwhelmed by the forgiveness practice. Throughout the course, I noticed him adjusting his position often during the meditation periods, and I had wondered if he had some kind of painful physical condition that made it hard for him to sit still. In speaking with me, he revealed that he had survived a recent terrorist attack in which someone had opened fire randomly with a shotgun on a street corner. He was in frequent pain because not all of the fragments of buckshot could be removed from his body. With profound emotion, the man said, I don't know if it is possible to learn to forgive. However, I do know that it is possible and, in fact, essential to learn to stop hating. Because hatred is really a poison to the person who carries that in their heart. The Buddha said, 
anger and hatred is like holding on to a hot coal and not realizing we're the ones that are getting burned by it. Now, again, this is easier said than done, and so you need to have great kindness and compassion when the heart is closed. But if you're not quite there to forgiveness, then it can be a useful inclination to just learn to stop the hatred. Now, how is that possible? For me, I think the key to forgiveness and to letting go of the hatred is understanding what somebody else's reality is. People do bizarre things. However, we all do things because they make sense to us in the moment. Through our difficult conditioning, through our own pain that we've been on the receiving end, through the habits that we practice. And if you can understand what would cause somebody to do something awful, the understanding is the movement towards forgiveness. It's not that you condone the action, but it's you're acknowledging the confusion that would go into that mind. You know, like Jesus said on the cross, forgive them, they know not what they do. And that, that's really the essence of it. Forgive them, they know not what they do. Now, they might know very well what they're trying to do, but they don't see the consequences of actions. They don't see on a karmic level what happens when you create suffering to others. There is confusion there and there's a a cutting off of connection with the rest of life that is very painful and is very heavy karma. So it seems to me that understanding another's reality and understanding their confusion is, is a doorway to, to dropping that hatred and seeing on a karmic level what's going on and meeting that with compassion and perhaps moving towards forgiveness. <clears throat> Hmm. The last thing I came across from uh, this is from Roger Walsh's book, Essential Spirituality. It's a beautiful book. <clears throat> Lines from a Christian text. It's anonymous Christian text. What could you want forgiveness? What could you want? Forgiveness cannot give. Do you want peace? Forgiveness offers it. Do you want happiness, a quiet mind, a certainty of purpose, and a sense of worth and beauty that transcends the world? Do you want care and safety and the warmth of sure protection always? Do you want a quietness that cannot be disturbed, a gentleness that never can be hurt, a deep abiding comfort, and a rest so perfect it can never be upset? All this forgiveness offers you and more. 
So this is not something necessarily that we're doing to make people out there feel better, that we're not angry with them anymore. But it's something we do for ourselves because the pain of holding on in that angry and hating heart is is so unbearable. It is it's anathema to a peace that we're looking for. <clears throat> so I, I really encourage you in these these days to at least start cultivating it with yourself and bring a kindness to it. Okay. A few other qualities of of opening that I, I want to share with you, particularly that come up in the meditation practice. Quality of patience. Very, very helpful. It's one of the the ten perfections, the ten paramitas, patience. And you get, again, a good opportunity to practice it here on retreat. I, I saw somebody yesterday or today, I said... Gosh, it's been a long time since I've done this length of retreat. And, you know, it seems like a long time. And I was reminded and shared with them the first time I did a three-month retreat. By the third day, my mind was saying, 11 weeks, three days, 15 hours and 20 minutes to go. I'm never going to make it. And I was really actually scared. Uh, Fortunately, somebody gave a talk on patience just around that time. And what I saw, what I what I did, what I used it as as a practice. Every time I'd go towards the finish line, wondering will I be able to hang in there, it was a movement out of the present. And I would just come back and say, okay, what's happening right now? It's the movement from this to this that you see life is completely here. It's all you need right in this moment. You've got a whole show going on. You know? And as we anticipate what might be, we miss out on the moment And it's incredibly painful because, again, there's that contraction, that movement towards grasping. This is where peace is found, right here, right now. And we can be impatient whether it's two weeks from now or the next sitting or the next moment. When is this going to end? You know, they said everything passes. How about this whatever, anger I'm feeling right now, or judgment, when's this going to go? And the paradox is, the more you want it to go, the more it grabs you. It fills your reality, right? If you try to push anything away, that's what becomes the full extent of your mind. If I say right now, don't think about a pink elephant, get it out, of your mind. What's there? And so, if you say, let's get finished with this stuff now, all it does is lock it in here. So, patience isn't waiting for the good stuff to come. Okay, sooner or later, it'll come. 
They said everything passes. It's really about settling in and opening up to experience just as it is. It's a very simple, subtle, but profound shift that says this moment is enough. This moment is complete. And this moment is followed by this moment, is followed by this moment. The infinite creativity of life is always presenting us a new show. So we don't have to worry about being bored if we are really present for what's going on. Patience, really helpful. One of the perfections, paramitas. Another quality in this opening to experience is having a sense of humor around what's going on. If you don't have a sense of humor, as my friend Wes Nisker says, it's just not fun. <clears throat> and you can drive yourself really into a somber space as you do this. You know, there you are, sitting still, trying to be spiritual, uh, doing the walking, lifting, moving, placing. It can get very somber, can't it? Especially trying your hardest. All that trying, all that intention that, if there's a subtle judgment, becomes a, a source of frustration. Having a sense of humor, it allows you to be in on the joke instead of the butt of the joke. Because this mind, as we said, is completely out of control. If you take it personally, it's going to be very humbling. And if you see, wow, look at the mind do its thing, then you can laugh along with it. Wow, isn't that amazing? And it changes everything. In a moment, that heaviness can lighten up. On one retreat, uh, I, I saw this in a, in a very... Uh, stark way. I often have a jukebox going on in my head because I, I love music and love to sing along and uh, and I could probably fill about a you know, five or six CD boxed set of songs that I couldn't get out of my head over the course of my retreat career. <clears throat> and on this one retreat, um, this very depressing song came on from Bob Dylan's, one of his heaviest periods. I was a very big Bob Dylan fan in the early years. And this song came on, um, Visions of Johanna. And it goes on, the, on the, uh, the first verse, kept on going, Ain't it just like the night to play tricks when we're trying to be so quiet? We're sitting here stranded, though we're all doing our best to deny it. This is on a three-month course, right? (laughs) And it went on and on and on. One solid week, I had that verse going on through my mind. 
Amazingly, fortunately, after a week, the needle skipped. In those days, it was vinyl. The needle skipped to a, um, a later verse in the song. And I had been getting tighter and tighter and more depressed through the whole week. We're sitting here stranded. Though we're all doing our best to deny it. <laughs> The needle skipped to a later vo- verse that starts off, Oh, little boy lost. He takes himself so seriously. <laughs> In a moment, the whole heaviness, it was like the clouds just opened up. That's what's going on. I was just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Oh, I don't have to take myself so seriously. I don't have to take this all so seriously. It's very profound work, but I don't have to. You don't get any points for grimness doing this. None whatsoever. Right? And it, was, it, it had a whole different energy to, to practice. When I focused on, when I made an intention to lighten up, and in fact, shortly after that, another song came onto my... Uh, my jukebox, which was uh, Take It Easy, you know, the Jackson Brown Eagle song, and it, where it says, Take it easy, take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. And then when it said, Lighten up while you still can. <laughs> I played that over and over. I never got tired of that one. You know, <laughs> Lighten up. Don't even try to understand. It's so freeing when you just don't try to figure it out and you just lighten it up. Okay? That's the, the attitude when I was sharing at the, the opening night. The combination of a full-hearted, sincere effort because this is an incredible opportunity, an incredibly precious time that we're sharing here together. And not to be so somber that you don't let a joy of practice infuse your experience. And that lightness of heart, that ease, that spaciousness, really allows the unfolding. It's not cheating. It's really, it's the, the support for practice. You know, if you see the Buddha with his half smile, or Thich Nhat Hanh suggests sitting with a, with a smile, the Buddha saw all the suffering and still could smile. There was a place in him that didn't get weighted down by all he saw, seeing the, the full extent of the first noble truth. There is suffering in life, yes. And there's still a place that can smile through that. Not a, a denial, not a, a toothy grin that's trying to you know, fool oneself, but an ease and a lightness because through that understanding of the first noble truth, you come to the end of suffering and you see, oh yes, there is peace to be found. It's to be found right inside. And chances are, it's not going to be as accessible if we get heavier and heavier and more and more caught in our predicament and the seriousness of it. So, I offer this to you. Lighten up while you still can. Okay? And put a wholehearted intention into your practice. 
the, the two work beautifully hand in hand. Sometimes I, I have a little uh, dialogue in my my shoulders, uh, you know, with the, the devil and the angel, you know, that you see in movies, you know, getting pretty serious here. You said you'd smile, you know. Yeah, but I don't feel like smiling, you know. Just lighten up. I don't feel like lightening up, you know. And then I'll just go into, uh, you, you can try this if you're getting really heavy. Just go into the bathroom, look in, or in your room, we all have mirrors in our rooms here. Look in the room and just give yourself a really big, stupid grin. <laughs> just try it, okay? Right now, if you're feeling kind of somber, you know, or... Oh well, I don't buy that. Okay, try it right now. I I invite you. I challenge you. Put a big grin on your face. Curl up your lips, and see if you can maintain your yeah nasty attitude. Now that doesn't mean to pretend that everything's hunky dory. But there's something very powerful about physically bringing another spirit to what you deal with. And just brings a little bit more of an ease so that then you can go into the depth of whatever it is that you're working with. It's just remembering, oh yeah, there's a way to hold this with a bit more space. So... Forgiveness, patience, sense of humor. One other quality that I want to share uh, that I find, for me, is a, a great source of practice is that of a sense of wonder. You know, we've all been around the block. You know, we, this is an old students' retreat. We've all seen our minds, seen our body work, see our breath, you know. And we can be kind of jaded in thinking, you know, okay, so show me something new. Where you're sitting here and you're, you're breathing and after a while, it can get really boring. In, out, in, out. You know. I'm supposed to watch the breath. In, out. You know. We just had one a moment ago. In, out. You know. Is it ever going to change? You know. And we blind ourselves to that spirit of discovery that really is is one of the factors of enlightenment. That factor of investigation of interest because this is an amazing show that we have available to us. The way it works is as, as the mindfulness gets stronger, you see more. And as you see more, things become more interesting. As they become more interesting, you want to take more of a careful look. And so it just begets itself. It's, a, it's a, a cycle as you bring a spirit of wonder, of discovery, that says, wow, 
let's check this out, there's more and more to see. But if you let, particularly in the beginning when the energy is low and you let, you let the, um, that low energy keep you from bringing the spirit of mindfulness to it, of exploration, and if you're sporadic in your commitment, then the mindfulness doesn't get as strong and you don't see as much and so it becomes boring. So it's this, at the beginning you have to really put an intention to get to make that effort unfold into mindfulness, but as the mindfulness becomes stronger, it becomes more interesting. I remember on one retreat, I went into um, the interview room. I had, I went into another level of seeing things that I'd never been in before. It was like I went into this trap door and into Alice in Wonderland. And it was amazing, you know. And I, and I said to Joseph, my teacher, I said, I don't know what I've been doing for the last five years, but this is a whole other ball game, you know. And he looked at me and said, oh yeah, I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. I said, wow. And then he looked at me and he said something that stayed with me, you know, 20 years. He said, yeah, and you know what? It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. And I got goosebumps, getting goosebumps even now. It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg, just looking with more and more interest as life reveals itself to us. Now, you can get this, this idea of, oh gosh, there's so much more to go. There's so much more. You know, when am I going to get it all? And you miss out on the joy, that spirit of wonder, of discovery, of looking just for the fascination of discovering the freshness of life. So, bringing that childlike spirit to practice as if you've never been here before, as if this moment has never been here before, which it hasn't, as if this breath has never been here before, as if this being, which is you, has never been here before, which it hasn't, not quite in the way that it's emerging in this moment. It just brings a whole... Uh, quality of aliveness to practice. I just finished reading um, this book that a friend had recommended to me. It's a book, uh, it's a young adult's book. It's called Stargirl by uh, Jerry Spinelli. And his his wife reads uh, children's and young adults literature and she said, you got to read this. And he read it and he just, I, I trust this guy. He, I'm, I have great respect for my friend Dwight. He said, and I saw him recently, he said, you got to read this just like she did, right? And it's about this this girl who's a very old soul who doesn't quite fit into her high school because she's very different, sees things with this uh, with wide eyes and a, a spirit of, uh, of wonder and uh, about this fellow who's talking, telling the story who's fallen and falls in love with her, he's smitten with her. And I just want to read this passage. She taught me to revel. She taught me to wonder. 
she taught me to laugh. My sense of humor had always been, had always measured up to everyone else's, but timid introverted me, I showed it sparingly. I was a smiler. In her presence, I threw back my head and laughed out loud for the first time in my life. She saw things. I had not known there was so much to see. She was forever tugging my arm and saying, Look! I would look around, seeing nothing. Where? She would point. There. In the beginning, I still could not see. She might be pointing to a doorway or a person or the sky, but such things were so common to my eyes, so undistinguished, that they would register as nothing. I walked in a gray world of nothings. So she would stop and point out that the front door of the house we were passing was blue and that the last time we had passed it, a few months before, it had been green and that as near as she could tell, someone who lived in that house painted the front door a different color several times a year. Or she would whisper to me that the old man sitting alone on the bench at the shopping center was holding his hearing aid in his hand and he was smiling and he wore a coat and a tie as if he were going somewhere special and pinned onto his lapel was a tiny American flag. Or she would kneel down and pull me down with her and show me the ants, two of them, lugging the lopped leg of a beetle 20 times their size across the sidewalk, as might two men, were they strong as ants, carry a full-grown tree from one end of town to the other. After a while, I began to see better. When she said, look, and I followed her pointing finger, I saw. Eventually, it became a contest. Who would see first? When I finally did it, said look and pointed and tugged her sleeve, I was as proud as a first grader with a star on his paper. And there was more to her seeing than that. The old man on the bench, for example, made her cry. The lumberjack ants made her laugh. The door of many colors put her in such a snit of curiosity that I had to drag her away. She felt she could not proceed with her life until she knocked on such a door. What she saw, she felt. Her eyes went straight to her heart. To look that way and let life touch you, let the moment touch you, let the fact that you're alive with awareness that can register experience, let that touch you. This brings a dimension of practice that makes the whole experience a joy. Besides profound, it makes it a fascinating adventure. And this is a beautiful quality of heart that we can bring as we we do this work. All of these, forgiveness and patience and humor and wonder, really underneath them all, implicit in them, is a spirit of loving kindness, of friendliness with the moment that's willing to open up to it, that's not afraid to touch it, that's not trying to embrace and possess it, but simply a connection with life. 
And as we practice here together, more and more as we open up that connection to life, it fills our own hearts and it connects us to everyone else. And that spirit that we bring is one that touches everyone we meet. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. We'll uh, thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/slash/donate.